Well, hello there and a warm welcome from wherever you're watching, be that your car, couch or conference room. I truly pray that today's message will inspire and stir you to deeper levels of commitment and faith in Jesus. So we get this guy, he comes in, uh, he's a builder and we show him, he's like, no, no problem, we're going to do it. And they start doing it and a couple of hours later they're done. It looks beautiful, nice ceiling, uh, you can't even see that there was damage at all. It was beautiful and we go to sleep and we wake up and the next morning the, the ceiling has started bubbling and it's, you see those, those old rot just coming through the new paint. And I call the guy, I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> We paid you money for this. It's a day. It's a day. I would understand if it was like six months or seven months and we didn't open the window again. Yes, I would understand. No problem. But come on, come and fix this. This is a terrible job. He comes back and um, he actually uh, has the audacity (laughs) to ask me for more money. He's like, no, I'll come back, but I'm going to ask you some more money for, for materials and stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand, my friend. I gave you money already. Then things got a bit ugly where he, he became really, uh, what's the English word for aspirous? He was spiteful. He was really spiteful because he started uh, scraping off the paint that he now put on new because we said, you're going to take everything off. You're not going to just paint over it. Take everything off. He stepped in that and he stepped all over our carpets in our home. White marks everywhere. Then he took thinners and scraped it. So now there's no more paint, but there are these like bright brown circles on our carpet. In the end, we literally had to take out the whole carpet and we had to put in new ceiling. It was really expensive. Sorry? Flooring. Did I say ceiling? We had to put in new flooring, which was really expensive. Thank goodness for December bonuses. Um, And we, we put in new flooring. But the funny thing is, throughout all of this, you know how people are. He takes a smoke break, and you stand outside. You have a little chit-chat. I'm an extrovert. I love people. Stand and chat to him. Well, how are you? How are you? Come, it, it turns out this guy is actually in our church. Very funny. I haven't seen this man in my life. Now, at this point, I've been here for a year. And yes, COVID and all that. But I don't know this guy from Adam. It's crazy. I, I have no idea who this guy is, but he, he says, no, 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 we're in that church. We've been in that church for years now. I have not seen him here once. Not once. Like literally not one time. He doesn't even know that I work here. And I'm on stage every single week. He does not know me. And he says, no, we love that church. We're in that church. Now, I have a name for guys like this. I call them CEO Christians. You know what that means? Christmas and Easter only. CEO, Christmas and Easter only. That's the only time you see that guy in the church is when it's Christmas or Easter. I want to make a statement. Listen, listen to this. It's, it's Archbishop William Temple. Um, he, he says two things. Firstly, sorry, this is not on the screen. He says that um, the, the gospel is very personal, but it's never private. The gospel is very personal, but it's never private. The problem with CEO Christians is that they take Christianity for themselves and they, they think it's a me thing. And, and I, I attend a couple of events now and then, and that what's, that's what makes me a Christian. The fact is, friends, that coming to church doesn't make you any more Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a burger. Right? So these CEO Christians believe that if I go Christmas and Easter and maybe ascension, like some years. We'll see how we feel. 
Maybe ascension service, I'll come to church and that, I'm good. I'm good, I'm sorted, I'm going to heaven. Good, got my ticket. That's not the gospel, friends. The gospel, in its meaning, in, we looked at that last week, in its meaning, euangelion, right? Remember that word? The Greek word for gospel is euangelion. It means good news. What do you do with news? You spread it. <laughs> That's what news does. Good news is supposed to go out. Literally, in the meaning of the word, the gospel is not a private matter. It's a public outward affair. It's something that you take into the world. Another quote by uh, Archbishop William Temple. Listen to this. The church is the only organization on earth which primarily exists for the benefit of non-members. Think about that for a moment. Every single business on earth is there to give their members something and to take your money, obviously. We were at the Discovery Buildings the other day. Now I know why I'm paying so much every, every uh, month. It's crazy. But every other business in, on earth uh, gives your, you, you give them money and they give you a product back. The church doesn't do that. We live not for you guys who are sitting here. We're living for everybody who's out there. The gospel is not for us. And yes, it is for us and it saved us. But now our job is to take it out there. Jesus echoes this in John 20, 11. He says the following. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even now I am sending you. That is a massive statement right there. If I can unpack this, can I, can I paraphrase this? Jesus is saying, just like God sent me in the manner that he sent me, in that same manner I am now sending you. The way that we find out how we take this gospel out is to look at Jesus, how he came into this world. We're sent like Jesus. That means that our going should look like Jesus is going. The thing is, I think it's Annie Stanley who said this. Jesus is not only the message we take into the world. He's the model of evangelism. He's not the, just the message of evangelism. He's the model of evangelism. The answer to the question of how I'm going to take the gospel to my friends, that was we said last week, right? We've got this burning thing in our heart. The gospel is meant for everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. But how? The answer to that question is going to be found in Jesus. The principles he lived by. The way that he lived in this world. Jesus came into a world that's hostile to him. That's the first thing. Listen to this. John 1, 11. He came to his own. Speaking of Jesus. He came to his own and his own people did not recognize him. His own people did not recognize him. Jesus came in humility. Did he come in as a king and said, Thou shalt fear me. Thou shalt bow down. I sound like Bane there. Sorry. You think darkness is your ally. He didn't come in this glorious manner out of the clouds. He came down and he said, now everybody will, will, will understand my gospel and you'll worship me. No, he came as a baby. He came in humility. He came to the world in the manner that people come into the world. Think about that for a moment. Jesus came to us, not in a special way. He came into the world like any other human would. He was shaped like us. He was in a, in a human body. He came uh, and, and he lays down this model. He comes in humility, in a manger. He's a, he's a baby. He's dirty. In the same way that Jesus is sent into this hostile world. Imagine that for a moment. One moment you're in heaven, right next to the Father, in perfect communion with him. And the next moment he says, all right, my son, you've got a job to do. Here you go. And he plants him in the womb of Mary by his Holy Spirit. It's crazy. One moment, king in heaven above all time and matter and, and space, and the next moment, a little fetus. Think about that for a moment. He came in humility. It's such a contrast to what the church does sometimes, right? 
Jesus comes in humility to this world to save the world. But the church, many times we go out, we put up our posters, we, we Bible bash people. No, the Bible says. I hate it when people do that. It's like going to a hockey game and telling them, no, you made a foot vote. It's like applying netball rules to rugby. It doesn't, you don't apply our rules to the outside world. And the church does this. We don't come in humility. We come with force. We come with anger and we come with, no, you have to do what we do. We're right, you're wrong, you're going to hell. <laughs> Many times I've seen this happen. And what happens, when, when, what happens when that happens is that people hate the church, right? If we go out Bible bashing everybody, quoting scripture to everyone, showing them where they're wrong, judging everybody, People actually get a hate for the church. They get a hate for Christianity. And instead of discipling them towards Jesus, instead of giving them this gospel, we're actually pushing them even further away. No, Jesus lays down a model. He goes into a world in humility and he lives there. He comes into a world as a baby. And for 30 years he grows up. I always say this, but Jesus went through puberty. Think about that. He had all the emotions that we go through. He smelled just like a teenage boy. <laughs> he probably played with his friends. He probably fell down and, and cut his knee. He was a human. He went through all of the motions. He went through adolescence. He probably had a, no, he didn't have a midlife crisis. <laughs> but he went through all the motions that we go through. For 30 years, he comes and he lives in a world, not preaching, not doing wonders, not doing anything, not even saying that the kingdom is coming. For 30 years, Jesus just is. He just is there. He just comes down and he stays. That's the model Jesus lies down. He says in, 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 in John, he says, As the Father has sent me, he sent me from heaven to come and live among you. So I'm sending you to go live among the world. I'm sending you to go and live in the world. You're not of the world, but you're in the world. I've got a name for this. I, I think Jesus was incarnated, right? You know that word? In, in, and carn, which means flesh. He was in flesh. Now, we are to be an incarnational church. We in our flesh have to go into the world and be there. We have to be firmly planted with this gospel in our back. Are you with me? Do you understand that? That Jesus came into this world and he lived here. He didn't come in preaching. He didn't come in doing all these things. For 30 years, he just was. <laughs> Jesus was just somebody's neighbor for 30 years. For 30 years. But we are to be an incarnational church who lives the gospel instead of preaching the gospel. That's the point I want to make. And we're going to delve in how we do this because I know it's harder than it sounds. But just to say, this is, this is the dream of Doxodeo. Our like one-liner, if you will, is to, to transform cities into places where God reigns. How do we do that? By bringing His transformational presence into the world. What happens when a gospel enters a life? Change, transformation. It has to. I always say when the gospel enters your heart, you become a better husband, you become a better wife. When the gospel enters your heart, you become a better parent for your kids or a better kid for your parents. You become a more hardworking person. When the gospel enters your life, you ought to live every moment as if you're living for God. Christians are actually supposed to be the best type of people because we've got this good news inside of us. How do we do this, though? How do we get the presence of God into the world? Listen to this. Ephesians 2.22. In Him, 
you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are God's address. I always say that. You are His address. He lives inside of you. You're His address. And when you go into a world, you as a human being in your flesh, go into your workplace, into your school, into your family, you are the presence of God entering that arena. You are His address. He lives in you. And when you enter a space, God enters in with you. And there has to be transformation. Come on. Amen. Right? When we enter, God enters. Now, to further understand this concept of being present, because I think that is the, the number one way evangelism is going to happen in the next couple of years. It's not going to be by crusades and, and thousands of people getting together in a stadium, stadium and, and somebody telling them, if you were to fall dead right now, where would you go? There's a place for that, 100%. There's a place for that. But I think the way that God is going to spread His gospel is by us as Christians going and being in the world, living in the world. As Jesus was sent into the world, we are sent into the world. To further understand this concept of being present, I think there are three dimensions we can look at. Now, you're going to hear these three things a lot in the couple of months to follow and maybe the next year. It's three things. We're to have a fathering presence in our world. We're to have a faithful presence in our world. And we're to have a fruitful presence in our world. Fathering, faithful, fruitful. I'm going to dive into them, each of them quickly. Now, Jesus modeled the fathering presence perfectly. Jesus lived every single moment of his life knowing that there was a bigger plan. This is what we spoke about last week, right? We as Christians are supposed to know that God has a plan for the people next to us. You have to go home tonight with the knowledge that God wants to save your next door neighbor if they're not saved already. When you go to work and that guy is driving in front of you, you are to walk in the knowledge that God wants, has a plan for that man's life. God has a plan for every single person. We said last week that he desires everybody to be saved. So that's, this fathering presence is just us walking into this world knowing that God has a plan. Knowing that God has a plan for every single individual. CEO Christians don't understand this. They go throughout life and they think the purpose of the gospel is to preach on Christmas, Easter, and Ascension. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is the plan, the power of God for everybody who believes. To have a fathering presence is to go into your workplace and to look at people differently. That guy who's doing business under the table, that girl who's constantly gossiping, that guy who's cheating on his test, that person who drives in front of you in traffic, the guy who's got a, a bad mouth and he's also always boasting and, he, and he's lying, compulsively lying. A fathering presence means you engage with those people not as they are, but as how God sees them. As a father, he's got a plan for them. He loves them and he wants to save them. He wants to give the gospel to them. See, oh, Christians don't understand this. They don't understand that every single Christian is called to be an evangelist. Not all of us are going to go to China or to, I don't know, Paraguay. But if you are in a job somewhere, if you're a teacher, you are called to be an evangelist in your school. If you're a businessman, you are called to be an evangelist in your company. If you are a mother, you're called to be an evangelist of your children. God calls us all to be evangelists. So because of God's plan, let me just sum this up. We walk in love. We don't see people as they are. We see them as God sees them. Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 to 4. Listen to this. It's awesome. 
First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. How many people? All people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Do you hear that, what I'm saying? We go into this life, we just, we just is. <laughs> we just are. We just, we just be. To live a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Listen to this. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. There's something about God's character. He desires every single person to be saved. We are to have a fathering presence in our world. This is what the gospel looks like. The gospel looks like going into your world and loving people, seeing the plan of God over their lives instead of their actions. We are to have a fathering presence. Secondly, we, ha- we need to have a faithful presence. This is a bit more practical. Because when, when we know God's plan, I've seen this happen so many times. People get saved and they understand, all right, so I'm I must now go and preach the gospel. And what happens? Immaturely, they run out into the streets and they start doing that, what I said later, just Bible bashing everybody. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. Once again, there's a place for that. There's a place where, where in relationship you have to stand, you have to sit across from a friend of yours and say, my friend, you're not living in the way that God wants you to live. There's a place for that. But I think instead of running out and doing evangelism, can we maybe just walk out and live evangelism? Can it become a part of who I am, not what I do? Before doing evangelism, we must live evangelism. Before running out to preach new reality to other people, let's first live in our own new reality. Let's truly understand what God did. Let's truly understand what the gospel is before we start Bible bashing people. We must have a faithful presence in our world. This means going out and just being a good person. I'm not speaking about morality. And once again, we don't do this to be saved. We do this so that we may become fragrant to the outside world. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 uh, verse 14 to 16. 2 verse 14 to 16. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, listen to this, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. This is a crazy thought, but one of the most effective ways that you can pave the way for somebody receiving the gospel in their heart is just to really understand it in your own heart and live it out. This means going into your workplace and just being the best businessman you can be. This means being the most positive person on your team. This means going out and when the world is negative and when the world is complaining about things, we as Christians step out and we are salt and we're light. We bring flavor. We bring aroma. We're faithful where we are. We get planted and we're just good at what we do. Tim Keller always said that Christians must live in a way that if we were all to disappear in a moment, the world should miss us. That's so true. I don't think that's the fact. I think many Christians irritate other people. <laughs> Instead of being the best working person, the best person in your, in, your, in your job, the most positive person on your team, the most optimistic, many Christians are just waiting for Jesus to come back. And now and again telling people that if you want to come with me, you better do what I do. That's not what, what we're called to do. We are called to have a fathering and a faithful presence in our world. Just to hammer on this one more, once more, have you ever seen what happens when a person goes out preaching the gospel without living the gospel? 
What do people call us then? Hypocrites. That's what the Pharisees did. They preached and they preached, but they didn't do. They spoke and they spoke and they told other people to do what they do, but they didn't live it themselves. So much so that Jesus told his disciples, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. I think that's so true of us. We're called to have a fathering and a faithful presence in our world. The third one, the fruitful presence that we have to have. This is so cool. I always use the story of Joseph when I try and explain this. Go and read the story of Joseph. We all know the story. He gets sold by his brothers to Ishmaelites. They take him to Egypt where he's sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's uh, court. And he's got a mansion and he gets Joseph to do his dishes and he's a slave for Potiphar. And God starts blessing this guy, right? We've read the story. He becomes the head of the house. And listen to this verse. It's crazy. Genesis 39.5. It says, From that time that he made him, that's Joseph, overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. God blesses a pagan. God blesses somebody who's not even one of his people. God blesses a person who's probably offering sacrifices to Ra and Osiris and all the Egyptian gods. Probably having uh, multiple wives, all, the, all these things. He's not one of God's people, but God blesses his house because Joseph is there. For Joseph's sake, his workplace was blessed. May our workplaces, may your school realize that this person, because of this person, because of God's presence in their life, my workplace is better. My, my company is thriving because of this person. My workplace is thriving because of this person. My, my employees are happier because this guy is there. And I can see the fruit of the gospel in his life. That's what a fruitful presence means. It means that you walk out this life, you live this life of the gospel, and it's not just a dead tree standing there looking really nice, the gospel tree, but there's no fruit. There's nothing substantial. There's nothing that happens out of your life. We're to be fruitful citizens. We don't use that word a lot in, in, in church, do we? But we are to be great citizens. We're to be the best citizens in the world because we've got this reality that we are saved. We're a new person. We've got eternal hope that after this life, what I've done in this life is going to, to, to impact what I go into after this. We've got this hope that even though this world is broken, God is busy working in it. The gospel is not just personal transformation, but it's, it's aerial transformation. God comes in and he changes workplaces. He changes households. I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen when, when, a, when a husband is not careful of loving his, 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 his wife and his children, and the gospel enters his life and he turns around. This is what movies are made of. <laughs> we have to have a fruitful presence. Marco, I hope you don't mind me um, telling this story. I should have asked you beforehand, but I, yeah, you're cool. You're cool. It was a Wednesday night at our, at our home group. We spoke about um, last week's sermon, and he had this awesome story of, you have to help me if I'm getting it wrong, but a, a kid coming to him, he's a teacher, a kid coming to him and asking him, why are you always so peaceful? Why are you always so just calm and collected and like this nice guy? And then without him saying anything, the person goes on and says, is it because of Jesus? awesome is that? Imagine if the fruit in your life, imagine your way of living sparks a question in your neighbor. Why are you like this? Is it because of Jesus? And that opens a discussion where you can just say, yeah, I've got a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
I've got a Savior in my life. I don't worry about death because I've got a Savior who conquered it. Imagine that. If you can go into your workplace, into your school, your home, your wherever you are, the shopping center. Imagine if a teller can ask you, why are you so cool? <laughs> and you can just say, you know what? It's because I've got a gospel. I've got a message. God saved me and he planned it from the beginning. We're to have a fathering presence in our world where we understand God's plan for the world. We're to have a faithful presence in this world where we're constantly walking with fragrance and aroma. Where we enter a room and people know, haha, Jesus has come in here. And we're to have a fruitful presence where as we walk out with this fragrant, aromatic life, things start happening around us. We are blessed. Our homes are blessed. Our workplaces are blessed because of us. People see the fruit of our labor. And they ask, why is this person so blessed? Why is this person so happy? Why is this person so peaceful? Why is this person always optimistic about the future? That's what a, a faithful and a fruitful presence looks like. I want to land this sermon. We're going to have uh, communion in a moment. And it's such a, I love communion. It's such a, a special thing that the Lord gave us. I'm so glad, I'm so happy He gave us something physical. <laughs> because so many times we struggle with all these spiritual and, and philosophical, philosophical <laughs> questions. I'm going to get that one later, don't worry. We struggle with all these, these questions and these big things, but God gives us these two things, something physical, a piece of bread and some, some wine or grape juice. And he says, make it real for yourself. Do this in remembrance of me. Do it often. Every time you think of this, every time you do this, think of the blood that I gave. That's the gospel, guys. Those two little things there, bread and wine, that's the gospel right there. Remember what we said last week, God sent his son and he made this plan from the beginning that one day somebody had to die for sin. And that was Jesus. So we're going to use communion. I want you to use communion today and ask yourself, how am I going to have a faithful and a fathering and a, and a fruitful presence in my life? Because here's a, here's a fact, guys. Here's where I want to land it. You don't have to do it yourself. You've got a God who gave his life for you. You have a God who sent his son to die in your place. And after that, he sent a spirit into your heart to help you, to give you wisdom, to speak with you constantly. But I, I think so many times it's not real for us. So won't you take these physical sacraments, take them in your hands. Eat the bread and remember that his body was torn for you. And not just for you, but for every single person around you. I wonder if it's not a good idea to quickly, just, bef just before you take the sacrament, just before you... You eat the bread and you drink the wine. Just close your eyes and quickly think, who are my neighbors? Quickly think, who are the people around me that need to know that there's a person who bled and died for them? And eat that and make it real for you. I'm trusting that God's going to make it real for you. And then go out and go live this gospel. Go preach this gospel. And if necessary, use your words. <laughs> I think it's Augustine that said that. Go out, preach the gospel, and if necessary, open your mouth. Let's have a fathering and a faithful and a fruitful presence in our life. Another thing, if you are in a group here, it's such a special thing to use communion together. Take one of those breads, break it off. Literally, I, I love to do that myself. So take a piece of bread and break it and see how the, the fibers are pulling out of each other. I love to do that because it's a, it's a physical thing. I can see it. Just like that, his flesh was torn. He paid a price for me. So if you're here in a group, 
take that little bread and break a piece off and give it to a person. And let's make this real for ourselves. That's it. You're welcome to go to the tables. We're going to call you back in a minute.